Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. Later, we'll conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star than zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your host for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, Tanisha, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect program. Now, this is the fifth annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. And the topic of our program today, this is part two, is my treatment is over, why do I feel so alone and sad? And we know this is an issue for many people when they complete treatment, and you're going to hear lots about this topic today on the program. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care the National Cancer Institute, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Intercultural Cancer Council, the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, and Living Beyond Breast Cancer. It is that collaboration, and we, we truly worked very closely together on this program, that has enabled us to reach so many of you. So sit back. We have on the program today 2,055 people on this call, which is a very large call. A lot of you have participated on this call. And you come from all over the United States. You come from large cities and smaller cities from suburban areas and from rural and frontier communities as well. And we happen to have today a number of international participants on the call from Australia, Brazil, Canada, Hong Kong, Ireland, Madrid, Palestine, Scotland, and the United Kingdom. So we really have everyone coming from all over the world, and it's a credit to each of you that you're a group of information seekers that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. I would like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you have received from Cancer Care. In those materials is an outline that our speakers have prepared, and there is information about each of the organizations that have sponsored and made this program together, collaborated with us to make this program possible. Now, there also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. Now, this is very important to us um, in this program, and all of our programs, but this one in particular, that you really do tell us what you think. Um, because we are going to be in the process of planning our next series, and we really need to have your feedback to know what you thought of the program and the topics that you'd like us to offer in the future. So please do, um, do help us with that, um, and uh, do complete that evaluation form and send that back to us. Now, um, the program today is made possible by support from the National Cancer Institute and Live Strong, the Lance Armstrong Foundation. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program. And this is actually our fifth year, and their fifth year of supporting this program. So we really want to thank them. Now, I want to introduce today my uh, co-host uh, for today's program, uh, Rosemary Tadberg. And Rosemary is the Chief of the Cancer Education Branch at the National Cancer Institute, and she wants to say some words of welcome to all of you before we actually get started with the program. Uh, Rosemary? Oh, thank you, Carolyn, for your introduction. It truly is an honor for the NCI to be able to co-host the fifth year of this special teleconference series, focusing on the issues faced by survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. This is a series for which, as Carolyn notes, the number of participants has continued to grow across the years. Along with our program partners, we have been deeply gratified by this response. And at the same time, we note that the popularity of this series is a testament to the fact that for many cancer survivors, even though the cancer treatment is over, the cancer experience is not. 
The National Cancer Institute, represented today by the Office of Communication and Education, is pleased to serve once again as an organizational partner for this program. We are also pleased to be able, along with Lance Armstrong Foundation, to serve as a co-funder of the Survivorship Teleconference Series. As many of you know, the National Cancer Institute's Office of Cancer Survivorship, established in 1996, celebrated its 10th anniversary last year. The overall goal of this office is to improve the length and quality of survival for all those living with a history of cancer, a number which, according to figures recently released, includes almost 10.8 million individuals in the United States alone. Today's program is an important part of the National Cancer Institute's educational mission. And I'll now turn the program back to Carolyn Messner. Well, I want to thank you very much, Rosemary, and it's wonderful having you on the call today. And I have to say that the National Cancer Institute has produced so many wonderful materials and, and such a wonderful resource for all of you on the call today. And in your materials, there is information about the Facing Forward series, and that's a wonderful series um, for you to um, access and get a hold of. It's just it would be very helpful for you to see that. Um, and, of course, they are a wonderful resource also in terms of just contacting the National Cancer Institute for information, the Office of Cancer Survivorship, and you have information about that in your materials as well. So we're delighted to have Rosemary with us today, and, and thank you, uh, Rosemary, for your wonderful words of welcome and to everyone on the call today. Now, um, we have for today's program itself, um, we have three speakers. I'm going to introduce our first speaker is uh, Dr. Lisa McKinley. And Dr. McKinley is a cancer survivor, and she is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Dean Emily Blackwell Society, Case School of Medicine, Case Western Reserve University. And Dr. McKinley is going to describe a bit about her own uh, experience with cancer and actually what helped her in, in coping with her survivorship issues. Dr. McKinley? Thanks so much, Carolyn. Um, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about my story. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, stage 2 breast cancer several years ago and received surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. And the whole treatment took about a year to complete. And my most vivid memory about the end of treatment is, is this one. You know, I'd been really looking forward to being done, to getting my hair back and getting my life back. So I'm lying up on that very familiar radiation table, and I'm waiting for this wave of joy to hit me because, you know, I'm done, and I... and but it just doesn't happen. And instead, I, I found myself lying on the table just weeping uncontrollably. And at the time, I, I just had no idea why I was reacting the way I was, even though the technician who was there just smiled at me and said, you know, everybody does this. But, but I didn't understand. And I gradually, as I was driving away from, from the radiation, I recognized that instead of being happy, you know, I felt terrified about being done with treatment and really sad and alone. And I, I realized that during treatment, I was working so hard just to endure the treatments and hold my life together that it had been really turned upside down. You know, I had two small kids. My husband and I had busy jobs. And it, it really wasn't until I was done with treatment and that I could really take a breath that I realized just how out of control I was really feeling. I was sad, I was angry, I, was, I felt very alone and, and really scared of cancer coming back. And I guess I felt abandoned by the healthcare system then. You know, I, I remember being told, Lisa, you've done a great job, you endured your treatment, you know, now you're fine, you look great, goodbye, good luck, we'll see you in three months. And, you know, I just remember going, three months, are you people crazy? You know, I, I've been 
being seen pretty much every day for radiation. And by these technicians who knew me and cared about me, and now I kind of felt like I'd been shoved out the door to deal with the weight of this cancer diagnosis and its potential return just on my own. And it really made me angry, too. You know, I think I had not been prepared in any way to live as a cancer survivor now that my treatment was done. And I think the cancer experience really changed me in some fundamental ways. And all of a sudden, I looked like myself again, and my friends and my family expected me to be who I had been. But, you know, I just didn't feel the same, and I found it very difficult to find my place again. And I felt more and more sad and teary a lot of the time. And I'd have these episodes of fear and anxiety and sadness when I wasn't expecting them. And, I, you know, I'd find myself driving or something and just weeping worrying about whether I'd see my kids grow up or whether or not my husband would be okay. And it was really a hard time for me. And as I was thinking back over the story, you know, I realized that I really had to stumble onto the things that helped me out of the rut I was in. And for me, these things just weren't obvious at all at the time. Now, I, I di unfortunately diagnosed my own depression after I just continued to feel terrible, and I finally had to ask for some help. And when I asked, I got it. I saw a psychologist who was wonderful, and she really made me understand that what I was feeling was really not unique at all, and it was not weird. It was okay. And she also recommended that I look into a few complementary therapies, like Reiki or relaxation and yoga, and, you know, as a physician, you know, we never learned about any of these things in medical school, which in retrospect I think is a real shame. But So I didn't do any of them right away. But I finally did because I continued to feel terrible. And when I finally got that first Reiki treatment, you know, I felt better. You know, someone was touching me in a very powerful new way, and it made me feel better. You know, I also learned some relaxation techniques so I got better at calming down, especially during those episodes when I felt so afraid. And for me, you know, yoga gave me space to reflect on all the changes that had happened in my life and, and really helped me see how resilient I had been and my body had been through all of this treatment. And I, I think all of these therapies really helped provide, um, helped me focus on myself a little bit. And I don't think I had allowed myself to do that much before cancer. You know, and I also began to write in a journal. And for me, that was very important. It, it gave me a safe place to, you know, kick and scream and say, this really stinks, you know, without being away from people that I love. Um, and, you know, the combination of these things really began to help me feel better. And finally, I found a support group for people who were finished with treatment. And, you know, here we, we talked about things like, defining our new selves and like who are we now and how do we re-enter jobs and relationships as these new people and how do we find meaning in this experience and you know here were these other people who felt just like I did and you know it was a real revelation to me because I just didn't know that there were other people feeling the same way I was and we talked about how our priorities had changed after cancer you know, I just, I could not go back to the same crazy job I had had. You know, I wanted to have a little more time with my kids. And, 
And we also talked about how hard it is to deal with the uncertainty of whether cancer will come back and how we continue to cope with this. And you know what? We, we really helped each other, and, and I really helped myself. And I think my time is up, but I just want people to know that, you know, we are not alone in feeling any of these feelings after treatment ends, and that there's really a lot of help out there if you know how to find it. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. McKinley. Um, we would love to hear you talk really forever because you really are a wonderful speaker. You actually, uh, Dr. McKinley also writes beautifully, but she also speaks with such great eloquence. And I think you've put into words uh, many of the feelings and experiences that many of the participants on the call today have had. So we look forward to uh, the question period because I know there will be questions for you. But thank you for sharing your experience and also um, what helped you in, in getting through that experience. Um, thank you. Our next speaker um, is Dr. Guadalupe Apollos, and uh, she is instructor, clinical research faculty, assistant professor, Division of Internal Medicine, Department of Symptom Research, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Apollos is going to talk about um, understanding the impact of less frequent appointments with your healthcare team, concerns that your cancer may come back, and feeling alone as a survivor. I'm now going to turn the program over to Dr. Apollos. Thank you, Carolyn. Good afternoon to all of you. It's a pleasure to be here um, for this very important discussion on the feelings that survivors may experience once their active treatment is ended. We heard Lisa give a personal view on the experience of survivor, and she beautifully described both the blessings and the challenges associated with being a survivor. She gave us an understanding of the emotional effects of being a long-term survivor, that is, once active treatment is over and it's time to transition back to the normal life. In the next few moments, what I plan to do is discuss how that journey back to normal life may lead to different issues and concerns, especially once your oncology team decides that you can return to your community, your job, and your primary position. When this transition occurs, you as a survivor may face new challenges and have many questions. In fact, one of the first questions may be, what happens now that I have less frequent communication and appointments with my oncology team? These are the people I saw almost every day for many months or even years. They not only treated me, but they gave me support in so many different ways. How do I find the same type of support back in my community? I will talk about some of the questions that come up regarding the long-term effects of treatment on survivors, some that we as cancer care providers cannot answer. I will speak about the fears that many survivors have regarding the future, such as the possibility that their cancer may come back, or perhaps even a second primary cancer will be found. Then I will end my discussion by reassuring you that many survivors feel alone during this transition or once they are back in their communities. That is normal. But once you acknowledge those feelings and fears, there are strategies that you and your family can use to find new sources of support. And Dr. Fleischman will talk about those later in this program. I just want to share a little bit of information with you. In 2006, the uh, Institute of Medicine released the results of a study on cancer survivors. Um, the results of this report, which was titled From Cancer Patient to Cancer Survivor, served as a wake-up call for America. Why? Because we were stunned by the tremendous number of cancer survivors living in our community. I think you already heard um, Rosemary talk about that they estimated that there was almost 10.8 million survivors living with and beyond cancer. Living with, through, and beyond cancer. 
These are the unspoken goals of our survivors. Interestingly, even though we may not consciously think about cancer survivors, we interact with survivors on a daily basis. We work with survivors, our children go to school with survivors, we live with survivors, and many of you listening in on this teleconference are cancer survivors, and I applaud you. Despite the large numbers and the recognition of survivorship, cancer survivors may react to their new role in different ways. Some survivors may believe this is the best news ever. They move beyond their cancer experience, return to working on their life goals, and never look back. Others may take a more cautious view and wonder what their future will be like now that they are living with this chronic condition. Whatever one's reaction is to being a survivor, one thing is certain. There are challenges and yet to be answered questions about many areas, and this uncertainty may often lead to certain feelings or emotions such as loneliness, abandonment, or isolation, or even the anger as we heard Lisa describe. The questions and concerns will vary or change depending at what point of the journey um, the survivor may be at. And I have found that many questions relate to the long-term effects of treatment on one's physical and psychological health. For example, I spoke to a young cancer survivor who had questions about her ability to have children and what the effects of her treatment would have on her baby. She was concerned about her episodes of mental fogginess. Would that affect her ability to take care of her children? Since she was back home in her community, she asked her OB-GYN physician. She wasn't really satisfied with the answers, so she went to her primary care physician. She wasn't satisfied with those answers, and then she went back to her oncologist. All three physicians reassured her that most likely everything would be fine, but she wanted evidence-based research. She'd been doing her homework, like many of you do, and doing her own research. So she wanted answers supported by scientific research. Survivors encounter many unanswered questions because survivorship research is very limited. Remember, the medical advances made in cancer care that contribute to better survival rates are fairly new. As a result, we have many questions and not so many answers. So for many of you, survival is a day-to-day -day learning experience, but that is changing. Nevertheless, a person may have mixed feelings about being a cancer survivor. Survivors often speak of missing the companionship of other cancer patients who understood them in the cancer experience. These individuals talk about how they isolate themselves, either willingly or unwillingly, so they won't have to talk to others about their cancer. They feel alone. Other survivors speak about feeling lost or abandoned by their oncology and cancer team once they completed their treatment. These feelings become stronger when they return to their community and especially when their care is transitioned to their community uh, physician who may not be as familiar with their cancer experience. Survivors also have concerns about symptoms and their meaning. For, a sim for example, simple symptoms such as a headache, a runny nose, or a back pain can lead to increased anxiety and more questions. Is it a simple cold or a backache? Should I call my oncologist? Should I go see my family physician? Some survivors express feelings of fear about the possibility of recurrent cancer or finding a new cancer. These fears can lead to emotional distress or sadness. These concerns are very legitimate. They need to be addressed and not ignored. In addition, there are concerns about the late effects of treatment. There is no doubt that there are effects, such as the cardiac effects, joint pain, fatigue, the chemo brain, and, of course, everyone's favorite, the weight gain. 
That's why it's important to discuss these concerns with your team and before you leave the oncologist um, team and prepare an individualized survivorship plan with them. This plan can be a blueprint of your cancer experience that can be shared with your community healthcare team. So by now, you've come to, real, to the realization that being a cancer survivor has its ups and downs. You may find yourself asking, what can one do when they find themselves find, facing these types of complex and emotional feelings? Well, the first thing is to acknowledge your feelings and fears. These are normal reactions to a new and constantly changing experience. The next step is to talk or communicate with someone about your feelings. Lisa gave a wonderful example of what joining a support group did for her and what it continues to do for her. Yes, communication is a major challenge in coordinating survivorship care, especially when you have so many different health care providers, but it can be done. Remember, your goal as a survivor is not to be lost in transition, but to live beyond your cancer experience. Your goal is to transition from the cancer experience to the rest of your life, and there are ways to find the support to achieve these goals. And Dr. Fleischman will discuss that information with you. Thank you, and that concludes my discussion. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Palos, for really covering this so fully and really giving people a lot of the information that they need to know in terms of how they might be feeling and how they may want to think about but it's all very normal to have those feelings, so thank you very much. Um, I have to say that Dr. Palos is actually um, a frequent participant on these calls, and she was actually very helpful in our thinking of this call in terms of it, even its title, so I, I want to thank Dr. Palos for that as well. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman, and Dr. Fleischman is Director, Cancer Supportive Services, Beth Israel Cancer Center and Continuum Partners. And Dr. Fleischman is indeed going to talk about practical tips to find new sources of support, um, how to organize your follow-up care, acknowledge living with uncertainty, and discovering your new normal. And I have to say that Dr. Fleischman as well is a frequent participant on our programs, and we're delighted to have him with us today. Dr. Fleischman? Great. Thank you, everybody, and I'm glad uh, this topic is getting uh, a lot of attention. It's getting more and more attention as uh, many famous people are um, talking about their cancer stories in the media, um, and um, it's, I guess it's important to acknowledge this part of cancer treatment. Um, as far as uh, finding new sources of support, um, it used to be very difficult, especially in uh, smaller towns or rural parts of the country, to find a cancer support group uh, that was close by. A number of years ago, we heard that many people traveled miles and miles to attend a support group. And I think technology um, has become our friend in a situation like this. And we've been able to um, really use technology to bring both information and emotional support um, to people who live all over as long as they have access to a telephone or a computer. Um, some people uh, had criticized this in the past, saying that it was an, uh, sort of an artificial kind of intimacy, but I think over the years uh, we've all developed a way to use the phone and the computer to communicate in a, in a much more intimate way. So uh, the usual uh, advice we gave people was start with your oncologist's office. They generally know who's in the area. They know who um, is running local support groups. 
Um, often these are not done in medical um, facilities or done outside uh, for good reason. Many people hate to come back to the places that they've had treatment sometimes because they associate it with being in pain or throwing up or feeling sick. And um, some of the most successful groups have been done in uh, the church or synagogue or mosque down the block or up the road. Um, but uh, as of now, we really have a lot more at our at our disposal. Um, I, I hate not to give cancer care a plug here, but the cancer care um, web uh, and the cancer care telephone network reaches far and wide, way across um, states and time zones. Um, and Carolyn will tell you a little more about that, I think, um, at the end of the call. But that's an, an important way to get support that wasn't always available uh, right in your neighborhood. Um, using chat rooms and um, even playing this call on your iPod or on your MP3 player um, is a way to get information that um, you may not have been able to um, get otherwise. So I think that's really, really helpful. Um, the um, idea that um, we need to all be really smart about what happens after our treatment was really eloquently described by our first two speakers. Um, finishing up really leaves a void and um, getting into the activities and things that you can do at that time can be really quite helpful. And finding a community of survivors, whether it's virtual or, in, or real, um, in person or on the, online or on the telephone, can give you some of the information, but it doesn't do the work. And um, a number of centers have been coming up with uh, some recommendations about what to do um, after uh, treatment. And uh, this is all in development, but we're trying to uh, figure out what people really should actually collect and what information they should have. And um, we're at a point where we're about to recommend that uh, our patients and families start to collect a bit of information particularly uh, their pathology report, copies of um, scans, MRIs, CAT scans, maybe even some important blood work if it's important to their situation. File it away in a loose leaf or in a folder um, so that they can bring this to their um, other doctors in the future who are going to be responsible for their follow-up care. Um, very often it's a primary care doctor um, in your community and maybe not in the same community where you receive your cancer treatment that is doing this kind of follow-up and having this information available in a folder or even electronically for them is a great help in communicating information from one center to another. We could all argue that it really shouldn't be our responsibility as patients to do this, that the medical care system really should be able to communicate effectively between centers, but we know that doesn't always happen, and we know because of privacy and confidentiality laws that sometimes this is even a little harder than it used to be. So uh, collecting things like um, the pathology report and the x-ray reports and the pertinent blood work, and even a treatment summary note at the end of radiation that says exactly what radiation you've gotten and exactly where and how much, what chemo you've gotten, what doses, what the interval was, can all be very helpful to uh, you and your treating, um, the, the treating doctors in the future. The other thing that um, is important to know is what kinds of things that you can do right from the start that um, will help you on the road to recovery. And I think this is, again, as um, we heard before, where the system may be falling a little bit short. Um, it's not all um, evidence-based 
certainly we don't have you know, really good studies that say that a certain degree of physical activity is really helpful after um, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, surgery, and combinations of the above. We're, um, we're thinking, though, that there's some good common sense here that should guide uh, us all until we have the, um, the evidence in, from studies that show exactly what's been helpful. And all this obviously, and uh, underscore, underscore, importantly, needs to be done um, in coordination with your physician or, or other health provider who knows you the best, who can say, yes, this is good for you, no, this is not, maybe, we're not sure, we don't have much um, experience with all this, but it may make sense. Um, and uh, things like, you know, what kind of um, diet should I be following? The weight gain, weight loss issue is still one that we're grappling with, but there is information out there on. There are some tried and true evidence-based things as well as a lot of bad information and people trying to sell you their products. Um, so we really have to be careful about adopting um, these, these sorts of uh, suggestions without actually uh, speaking to our healthcare provider. So diet, exercise, um, do I need any physical therapy? Um, is there some sort of speech and swallowing problem that needs to be addressed because of my cancer? Um, is there a physical therapist in the area? Is there a cancer rehab um, program in the area? Um, an occupational therapist who may be really good in understanding about lymphedema, let's say, whether it's in your hands or your feet. And those kinds of uh, questions that um, may not require ongoing physical therapy, occupational therapy in someone's office, but actually just a visit or two to get on the right track. So um, a self-directed program can be designed for, for each of us may make the most sense. The other thing that's important to pass on to the next provider is you know, thinking about what, what kind of can, what, what should I I'd be worried about in the future? What's likely? What's not likely? Um, and um, you know, we are all uh, aware that sometimes secondary cancers come after the primary cancer, but knowing which ones, um, what's the likelihood, and what needs to be addressed as far as vigilance is really important. Patients always ask us about follow-up programs, and frankly, there are very, there's very little evidence-based guidelines out there to say that a patient after lymphoma, let's say, needs a scan every so often, or a patient after a head and neck cancer needs a clinical exam every so often and a scan every so often. Um, that information isn't quite available yet. So the best thing is for you and your doctor to really decide what makes sense, what makes sense from a practical point of view, what will put you and your family at ease um, without uh, going overboard and thinking about the cancer every day when you finish. It's also a rite of passage that we see in cancer centers for people to have a sort of a panicky reaction after their cancer treatment when they finally um, get to the point where they're feeling okay and they get what we call regular people stuff. So, for example, you get a sore throat, which is a cough and a cold. Your child comes home from school. Everybody in the neighborhood has it. But being in this funny, uncertain position as a survivor, you think to yourself, gee, this might be the cancer coming back when it's basic old cough and cold that everybody in the neighborhood has. But our first response is to jump to think about this as a sign or a symptom of, um, of a recurrence. So this is a sort of rite of passage. It's a graduation that just about everybody goes through sooner or later. Sometimes it needs a number of things, a number of small things to happen over the course of time to really get a sense that I'm going to get just the regular things that everybody else gets. 
and it's important to have a doctor or another health professional who can help you separate what's you know expectable and what's not and when to say let's check on this and when just to say let's sit on it and wait on it for a long period of time and um, a very smart person and I don't remember who to credit really talked about this as discovering the new normal um, that um, although um, many people luckily not not everybody but many people can really feel confident that their cancer treatment has put their cancer in remission for a short or long period of time people are um, concerned about recurrence and they're concerned that they still have to live with the idea that that there's a lot of uncertainty and discovering a new way to do things uh, and accepting and being in that position is extremely difficult to do, but something that the survivors really need to navigate over the course of time. Um, uh, for example, patients always say, I'd like to take a vacation next year. Should I make the reservation? Well, if they make the reservation now, then it'll be cheaper for them. If they don't make the reservation now, it'll pay more at the end. But our, what I think people are sometimes asking us is, do you think they'll be alive next year so I can go on vacation? Um, and again, those are hard predictions to make. Um, none of us in medicine and nursing and other health professions really predict the future. Um, I know a lot of people think we can, but we can't. But it makes sense to go ahead and plan things within reason. And for patients who are really, really concerned that they're laying out a lot of money and they may be sick next year, they may not be able to come, sometimes they can take out some insurance um, that will help them defray the cost should they not be able to go because of a new health problem. So um, when we talk about living in a new, this new normal, we really mean about anticipating things, um, understanding what's likely, what's not likely, and trying to plan for the future without being stuck in one place, um, just w waiting for a recurrence to happen because that's a, um, probably not the, the most fruitful way to live um, as the years go by. Right, I think I've covered my list, and I'm going to stop now so we can do some questions. Well, I want to thank you very much, uh, Dr. Fleischman, for an excellent presentation and really for really helping people to think about how to organize their follow-up care, how to practical tips to really find new sources of support and to find their new normal. So thank you very much, um, as always. And I now would like to introduce um, Kelly Craddock, who's with the Lance Armstrong Foundation, and she oversees the Live Strong Survivor Care Program and the Live Strong Summit. And I want to turn it over to her because she would like to say some words of welcome to all of you on behalf of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Kelly? Thank you, Carolyn. Um, on behalf of the LAF, I do want to thank each and every one of you for participating in today's call. I also want to let you know that if you would like to learn more about the foundation and the programs that we offer, you may visit our website at livestrong.org. We do have the opportunity for you to email us if you go to the Contact Us section of the website. And thank you all again. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. And, and Kelly and the, Live, and the Lance Armstrong Foundation have really been instrumental in our planning um, this program. And um, so I really want to thank you for that and for your support as well. And now we actually do... It's been redesigned and has more information in it as well. Well, I want to um, thank all of you for participating. I want to thank our speakers, who have just been extraordinary on today's call. I want to thank all of you who have asked such really excellent questions that really enhanced our call today. And all of you who have been listening, who I know have questions, who will be calling us after the call. I want to remind you that this is a one-hour education program and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go beyond the scope of a one-hour program. And with that in mind, I just want to 
tell you a little bit about all the services you can access from Cancer Care. And I also want you to be aware that you can also access a lot of services from all of our partner organizations as well. Um, Cancer Care has a staff of 40 NASH-level trained oncology social workers. And we're here to provide a host of services to anyone who calls us, from practical and financial assistance to uh, counseling services. And we do our services over the telephone and online as well, so whichever is more convenient for you. And we heard on the call people from all over the country, so the telephone often is a very convenient way to contact us or, or online if you want to visit our website as well. Um, we also um, provide um, a lot of information and materials that could be helpful to you. And our staff are, um, are people who help people to kind of look at problems or concerns that they may have and come to some solution of them, really work on kind of a problem and, and help you to kind of resolve it. So our staff can be very useful to you in very practical ways as well. So um, the Cancer Care uh, toll-free number is 1-800-813-HOPE. And our website is www.cancercare.org. And again, all that information is in your materials. And I also want to say that in addition to Cancer Care's resources, there's the National Cancer Institute, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And all of the information is in your materials as well. Most importantly, as we conclude the call today, I would not want anyone to feel that you're alone in coping with your cancer. I want you to feel that you're now part of this really large community of support and that um, we would just ask you to give us a call, to call for what the help that you might want or questions that you might have you didn't get to ask. And all of us will try as hard as possible to answer your questions. We are here to help you. Um, also, I want to remind you that we have uh, part three of our of the, of the series coming up on June 19th, Finding Hope and Meaning After Treatment. I know many of you have signed up for that program, but I just want to remind you that that program is coming up in a couple of weeks. We look forward to your participating, participation in that as well. I want to thank you all for your participating on the call today, and I want to wish you a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.